Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by mama angler, Keisha Atkin. Keisha shares her angling passion. We talk family, fly fishing, and fly tying. And we take a deep dive into what makes our fly fishing community such a special place. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And two thank yous. I want to thank the Outdoor Writers Association of America for recognizing an episode of The Articulate Fly, part one of our interview with imperfect Texan Buddha Steve Ramirez, and this year's Excellence in Craft Awards in the Fishing Radio Podcast category. I am truly honored and humbled to be in the company of the other award winners. A special thank you to Steve Ramirez for trusting me to share his story and taking time away from his busy writing and travel schedule to sprinkle a little of his mojo on me. And a special thanks to my advertisers. Thank you, Norvice, for being there from the beginning, my guests for their time and their trust, and all of my industry friends for all of their favors, big and small. All of you have helped me realize my vision for creating content and serving our community. And we recently celebrated our five-year anniversary. We couldn't have done it without the support of the Articulate Fly community. In five years, we've released over 725 interviews and fishing reports, and none of it would have been possible without our listeners, guests, advertisers, and friends. Thank you all. Your support means more than you will ever know. Now, on to the interview. Well, Keisha, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we've been trying to kind of make this happen for a while. And, um, you know, we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Earliest fishing memory. That has to be when I was about eight or nine, somewhere in that time frame. Um, you know, I grew up I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. And boy, it's hot down there. Um, I was a tomboy to the max. You know, I hung out with with the boys and hang out with any of the girls did all the guy stuff. Um, but we, we had this really small family cabin, um, in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is about two and a half hours from where we lived in Phoenix. And it was 7,000 feet or higher elevation. And we went up there all the time to get away from the heat. And so in outside of Flagstaff, there's this little town called Mormon Lake and that's where our cabin was. And in the heart of this town, I mean, it's like, I mean, I think, I think there's 50 people that live in the town year round. It is teeny, weeny, tiny. Um, but there's this very humble gas station right in the heart of this little village. And um, there's a pond there. And they would stock this pond with just the itty bittiest teeny little trout. And every time we'd go up there, I mean, that's where you'd find me. There was no question, where's Keisha? I mean, she's she's at the pond with her with her little rod. And and that's where I just spent hours and hours just glued to my bobber, just waiting with anticipation for that thing to go underwater. And and you know, I'd catch up a few trout and and uh, my grandparents, their cabin was just right across the other side of the pond. And so I'd run over there at the end of the day and my grandma would would grill my fish, you know, on the porch and we'd hang out. And I mean that we, we, there was other places to fish around Flagstaff. I mean, there's a lot of trout, but definitely my earliest memories are centered right there at that teeny weeny little pond. Um, just very simple, but very, very special. Yeah. Very, very neat. And, you know, 
to say that fly fishing is a family affair with the Atkins is an understatement. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how the Atkin family broke into fly fishing? Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, definitely an understatement. We are, we're pretty obsessed. Um, I can, I can readily own that and admit that. Um, so, so fast forward several decades, you know, from, from Mormon Lake, Arizona, and uh, my husband and I, you know, we're married and we have two wildly crazy, awesome boys. And we're living in Texas at this time. And, um, you know, my kids are 15 and 12 now, but, you know, when they were toddlers, they were obsessed with bugs. And, and I mean, like, even more than we are obsessed with fly fishing. It was insane. Um, I remember bringing Wes home from the hospital and I would catch James. James is older. He'd be in the backyard collecting ladybugs and grasshoppers and he'd like smuggle them in the house to try to give to his baby brother. Um, just just obsessed with bugs. Um, and we, we taught him how to fish, uh, chasing bass in Texas. They're, they are a riot. Um, but probably from the age of three, I mean, they could they could cast the spinning rod like a boss. I mean, they and they were good and they loved it. But I think that that world of of bass fishing and the passion for bugs, I mean, they were just destined to collide at some point. It just they were going to come together. Um, and and that happened in late 2020. Um, we lost our home in Hurricane Harvey which is kind of a bummer. Um, but we were, we ended up moving into an RV full time, trying to just save money and, and get back on our feet. And uh, we soon found ourselves spending a lot of time together in a very small space. And so we needed to just find ways to get outside and, and just find some balance in our lives. Um, and Chris and I, my husband, Chris, uh, we decided, man, we, we need to teach our kids how to fish for trout and uh, where can we go and do that? And so um, we started doing some research, and uh, we learned that trout fishing in Texas is very limited. <laughs> very limited. But there is one river here called the Guadalupe River. It's about three hours away, and um, and you can find trout there. They stock it, you know, from about November to, you know, the springtime, February, March-ish. Um, and our trout unlimited, chap- trout unlimited chapter takes care of that for us. But a lot of the spots on that river were fly fish only. And so we're like, man, if we're, if we're going to get out and, and do this, we got to learn how to fly fish. And so by golly, we did all four of us. We, we jumped in all the way we bought waders and boots and very inexpensive rods. And we just said, we, I know we're going to love this. And, and we weren't wrong. Um, I won't say it's not the purest form of fly fishing, you know, here in Texas, it, it is a very unique thing to fish the Guadalupe river in Texas. And anybody who's been out here and fished the Guad, you know what I'm talking about, but, but man, it didn't take us long to figure out we came across something really, really special and something that really meant a lot to us. And uh, we've pretty much been fly fishing ever since then. I mean, we just have not, have not stopped. I mean, it was lights out game over, started connecting with our fly shop and just off to the races. I mean, couldn't stop us if you wanted to, I don't think at this point. Yeah. And also too, I would imagine, you know, it's probably one of those COVID silver linings too, right? Cause you had a chance to, you know, get out and travel around and move around a little bit too. Right. Yeah. I mean, couple, couple COVID on top of the fact of, of being inside of an RV with your four kids, you know, it's maybe 400 square feet, you know, and then you're, you know, it's not just like after school home, you're home all the time. So it was a definite silver lining. Absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. And so, uh, is, is trout the species of choice? Um, or do you have something else that's like your number one preference to chase on the fly? 
you know what? We we're so easy to please. <laughs> uh, we you know we're out here in Texas, and so there are a lot of really exciting species to chase in Texas, and we definitely don't limit ourselves. I mean, you have Rio Grande cichlids, which are pretty fun and native here um, in the hill country area. You've got bass, uh, you know, panfish, catfish, carp, um, but but we definitely I, I personally love the mountains. Me myself, I love the mountains and I love river fishing. So. If you can couple that with a fly rod, I mean, I'm done. I, I don't need much else. I I enjoy all of it. Um, Chris Chris probably loves chasing cutthroat in like the higher lakes more than other. If he got to choose, you know. But like I said, we're not we're not real picky. My my littlest Wes, um, he will ooh and ah over you know a two inch panfish. I mean, he just he marvels at them just as he would at his twenty two inch, you know, brown trout. I mean, he he we just truly love it all. So, yeah, very, very neat. And, you know, can you share with us some of the folks that have mentored you and your family uh, on your fly fishing journey and kind of some of the things they've taught you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That is that is definitely one of the aspects of fly fishing that I have come to love and appreciate so, so much is is the mentoring and the giving and the you're just the people and the friends that you end up just filling your life with. Um, the willingness to help and share and encourage is just, it's pretty incredible. Um, it's like a pay it forward type of industry. And I love that. So um, I would have to say, you know, right, right after our first couple of trips down to the Guadalupe river, um, my kids started begging for a tying vice, which I mean, shocker. That's not, that's not a hard jump there, but um, all they wanted for Christmas that year was a vice. And so Santa you know, he obliged. He brought them a scientific angler tying kit and and uh, a book by Pat Dorsey. And so, you know, they started tying in about about February. So give them about eight weeks of tying experience. We heard about a fly fishing show out here in, in Texas that was going down and thought, oh my gosh, we got to go. And Pat Dorsey's supposed to be there. We've, we've just got to go. And so we surprised the kid with tickets and we went out there and when we didn't hardly get in the doors and my kids came up to a table of tires and, and I'm not exaggerating when I say they must've spent, you know, the better part of the next three and a half hours at this one table talking to this, these two gentlemen that were, that were tires. Um, it was Philly Wane and Steve Maldonado. Um, they are signature designers and tires with uncle feather merchants. And they were out from Colorado and Texas and they just, they took so much time to talk to us and especially to my kids. Um, and I would say that was like the hook set right there on, on their journey was, you know, it was, if it wasn't, it wasn't game over already. I mean, they, they didn't stand a chance. I mean, they, Steve Maldonado was a competitive bass fisherman. So they started drilling him with all kinds of questions about what kind of flies do I need and how do I fish them and where do I go to get this kind of stuff? And what kind of hook is that? I mean, you can't even imagine the questions that they just drilled these two individuals with. And I mean, they were just the nicest guys. And from there, just this friendship blossomed. Um, we left there. We didn't even, we didn't even find Pat. We, we couldn't, we couldn't get through to find Pat that day. Um, but we spent so much time with Phil and Steve and, and they ended up inviting us, you know, if you're ever in Colorado, come up and fish with us. And, and we did, you know, a few months later, we came up to Colorado and Phil, came out to the river and and showed us how to rig and here's how you cast this and here's how you land these and he spent all day with us all four of us just going around and taking care of us and just always following up I mean just 
the salt of the earth men. So those were probably our earliest mentors um, that really got things going. I mean, I, I can't imagine where we'd be without the knowledge that they gave us right there at the beginning. Um, but after, you know, after meeting Phil and Steve, you know, then I started wanting to get into tying. So it didn't take long before, you know, I was hunting down YouTube videos and I came across Charlie Craven's videos and I probably watched every single one of them at least once the first run through. And it, I was calling him up before you know it, asking him all kinds of questions. And he was so kind to put up with me and everything that I, you know, I, I remember one particular time saying, okay, Charlie, I'm looking at this pattern. I don't know what a furnace feather is. What am I, you're saying I need a furnace feather. What is that? You know, I mean, just the most basic questions, you know, and so bless that man for, for all that he's, he's done to help me getting into tying. Um, he definitely has earned some good karma there. Um, Landon Mayer, oh my gosh. Landon has been a godsend for my son, James. Um, he has understatedly saved him in so many ways. You know, James fell in love with the mini leech. That was one of the first flies, a confidence fly for James. And we bumped into Landon at the Denver Fly Fishing Show. And James was just so excited to meet him. And it did not disappoint. I mean, so much energy, so much encouragement, so much enthusiasm. And Landon really kind of took James under his wing and gave him a lot of coaching, a lot of advice, a lot of tips on rigging. And that only led to even more success on the water and an even greater obsession with the mini leech. Um, we did eventually meet Pat Dorsey and uh, we bumped into him and in, out here at, at Trout Fest. And I know my son, Wes, the youngest, went up to him and, and had a question with him about a fly that he ties in his book called The Bread Crust. And so Pat, of course, answers his questions and, and talks to him. Well, the next week, there was another event in Texas that Pat was also attending. And, and when we went up and shook hands with Pat, he says, you know, Wes, come here. I've got something for you. And I mean, we're talking about Pat Dorsey. He's just he's the best of the best. I mean, you would never expect him to be so kind and such a gentleman. As soon as you meet him, it's like you're instant friends. And he takes Wes and he says, you know, here's a hen neck. Here's here's all the material that you need to tie the bread crust. Now let's do it together. I'm going to show you how I trim this feather. I'm going to show you how I prepare this and prepare that. And they sat down together and tied the bread crust just right then and there on the spot. Like he was anticipating him to come. I mean, it was just so generous and so kind. Um, I, it's just amazing to me how many people, it's just a hundred moments like that of people just taking the time to teach us and the generosity. Um, Chris Johnson down in Living Waters Fly Fishing in Round Rock, Texas, our local fly shop. I can't even begin to describe how much he's helped us in our fishing game. I mean, just all these like micro mentoring experiences that have just catapulted us into so much success. I mean, it's, I'm so, so grateful for everybody. And there's, there's tons, it's just tons of experiences like that that have shaped us and really just solidified our foundation in this amazing, amazing industry. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I I really truly believe it that, you know, I tell people all the time I think the fly fishing community is one of the most generous communities there is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wanted to learn how to euro nymph and I'm messaging Lance Egan, busy Lance Egan, who's running fly fish food on Fly Fish Team USA. Same with Devin. You know, hey, what kind of what kind of material was that for that leader? You know, and they're they're answering me and getting back to me, and here's the link and here's that. You know, I it's just it's incredible. I mean. Craig Matthews, one of the first flies I ever tie, the sparkle done. And he's like, send me some pictures. Show me what you're doing. Okay, tie a few more and, and send me send me more pictures. You'll try this, try that. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. What a beautiful, beautiful community 
It really is. It's it's the cheering and the encouragement. And and in today's world, I mean, that's everything. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Do you know uh, Phil and Steve's nicknames? (laughs) I I probably know more nicknames than I probably should for those two. I've fun around them enough. I'd love to know your nicknames for them. I I could tell you. <laughs> they're rat they're rat stink and skeeter. Rat where did that come from? Oh, that's just something we've been kicking around an idea about doing a doing a podcast series and be the adventures of rat stink and skeeter on the front range. Rat stink and skeeter. Well I tell you what, I'm I I'm not surprised that I I could think of a hundred things to call them and you hang around them long enough they're they're pretty phenomenal people. I it just, I mean, my kids call them Uncle Steve and Uncle Phil. I mean, they're just, they're so wonderful. So wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. And the book seats you mentioned too, like I think, uh, you know, Pat's Tailwater book I bought um, to tie for the tailwaters on the South Holston right here. Um, and the patterns are great. And then I think, you know, Charlie's tying books are phenomenal. Oh, they are. Um, I, that, that's where we've derived so much knowledge. I mean, my kids, um, their their first flies were Pat Dorsey's book, and and that's kind of how we learn is like, hey, just just start tying your way through the book. You know, Charlie Craven's basic fly tying. I mean, it is insane how much incredible and helpful knowledge is in those books. I mean, they are phenomenal. I, I love them. They're they're pretty well worn out. I've had to tape Pat's book. I've had to tape together a couple of times in a few different places because it's just been flipped through so often. You know. Yeah, I think the great thing about yeah about Charlie's book, right, is that um, you know this those first like four or five chapters where he really kind of talks about skills. Mm-hmm. That I think it, it's a very different approach. Like most books, they try to teach you by going by pattern, right? And he's like, here, here's what you need to know how to do, and now we're going to go apply. Yes, and it's a really it's techniques. Yeah, yes, it's super helpful. I love that. I do too. It, and it was perfect for a beginner like me. I mean, of course, a lot of them go through the tools, and he went through tools, but then it was like. You need to know how to do this to tie flies like this. So let's learn how to do this, and we're going to tie that. And then as you move through the book, you build on all those skills. It's like now that you know how to do this, now we can add this to the pattern. You know, And it's, it's awesome. It, it really was tie your way through the book. I loved it. Yeah. And, and the neat thing, too, I, I always tell people that you'll save multiples of what the book costs just in not buying the wrong stuff to tie with, because he goes into a ton of detail about vices, tools, and everything. Yeah, what you need, what you don't need, um, how to select materials, what you're looking for. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think we we're, we're establishing that your family is eaten up with fly fishing. And uh, even though you're relatively, I don't know, three years into your adventure, you know, how many days have you guys spent on the water so far this year? You know, we I would say it's safe to say we spend between, you know, 150 to 200 days on the water during the year, you know, randomly. It may not be all day, but but we touch water at least that number of days, at least that number of days. Um, it, it's it's just part of who we are. I mean, it's it's almost like, um, you know, my kids, even this week, you know, this has just been a long week for them. And we're going, oh, my gosh, we, they've only been they've only been to the little creek behind our house twice this week. You know, that that's not that's just not enough time for them to be outside on the water. So, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> definitely an understatement about being eaten up with it. It's just it's literally part of of what makes us happy. You know, it fills our cup. 
Yeah. And so, but I mean, to really underscore the point, I think when you told me how many miles you'd put on the minivan this year, it kind of blew my mind. You want to share that with our listeners? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, so I would say in a tying season, you know, between, you know, the start of January, you know, to the end of March, kind of when right before spring happens, I would say we last year we did about 9,000 miles in a tying season. Um, just going to fly fishing shows, different tying events, you know, across the country, just, just tying. Um, and then over the summer, this past summer, for example, we put over 17,000 miles, you know, in the next three months of the year. So we, we, our passion, our love just knows no bounds. I mean, we, it's what we love to do. And and so we go and we do it. It, it. I'm so grateful to have found something that we all love. I mean, I'm never having to you know, twist anybody's arm, you know, they're literally chomping at the bit, all four of us, you know, filled to the brim with excitement to hit the road and to find a new, a new river, chase a new fish, try different flies, or these are hatching, or now it's streamer season, or it's salmon flies. I mean, it, it was, it was an incredible summer, but we definitely put the miles in my, our poor van. (laughs) We go through a lot of oil changes and a lot of tires, but Boy, we've been to some beautiful places and we've had so much fun. Um, just the experience, uh, different parts of the country. It, it, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, who, I, we, we travel well and we have fun doing it. So I don't see us slowing down anytime soon. It, it's just what we love. You know, it's, it's easy. It's fun. It's exciting. So, yeah. And, and so what's been your favorite fishing destination of 2023? Oh man, hands down. I mean, not even a contest was Yellowstone National Park. Um, that was that we did that over the summer. Um, you know, people talk about it, you know, they seem to go on and on talking about it, how wild it is, how beautiful it is. Well, they're they're right, you know, and now now I get it. I I, I we figured that out this summer. Um, the fishing was tough, but it was so rewarding and so unforgettable. We we can't wait to go back. The the cutthroat were incredible. What, what a place. Um, we planned on staying there 10 days. You know, we're like, we're going to go to the park and we're going to make reservations, you know, on this campground. We're going to stay for 10 days. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait. And and we got there. And, and when the 10th day came and we were starting to pack up our camp, I mean, we literally, we couldn't leave. We just couldn't bring ourselves to leave. And we're like, we've got to stay longer. We, we can't be done with this chapter of summer yet. And so we ended up staying an additional seven days on top of that, just piecing together, you know, finding the campsite here, you know, sneaking in a little spot over here, you know, just kind of all around the park, anywhere we could get a spot. And uh, I, I'm so glad we did. I'm so glad we did it. I mean, this, the salmon flies were coming off. You have, you know, other stone flies, golden stones. I mean, just big, big bugs. I mean, how can you beat? 20 inch plus cutthroats on size four and six dry flies. I mean, it was just insane. It was so phenomenal. I also got to try a little bit of uh, still water fishing. I got a little taste of that this summer. Just no contest. Yellowstone Park. It was the best. Yeah, it's a neat place. I, I usually go in the fall, usually about this time of year. Sometime if you go back, my favorite river to fish in the entire park is the fire hole. Um, oh. yeah. And it's, you can't fish it in the summer cause it's too hot, but, um, exactly. but you know, when it cools off and it's snowing and the bison are coming together and you're sitting there fishing soft tackles for, uh, 
uh, waiting for the hatch. And uh, then, you know, the Miller caddis come off and the blue-winged olives. It's a pretty uh, amazing place. And then you've got, like, all the boiling water and the steam and the sulfur. It's um, it's a super cool place to kind of watch uh, everything kind of go to sleep for the winter. And I would love to go back in the fall. We, I'm sure we will. Unfortunately, we can't this year. But yeah, we, we didn't get to fish, you know, the Madison or the Fire or any of that. Because, as you stated, it was just, it was too hot. You know, the fish... The fish had already moved out. Um, so we spent a lot of our time in, you know, in other sections of the park. And so that I thought that in itself was so exciting, thinking that, you know, even though we've been to Yellowstone, I mean, there's so much that we haven't even tapped yet. After 17 days, I mean, we haven't even gotten to some of what you might consider the best. So we we can't wait to go back. Um, it, it is a magical place. It really is. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I can remember the first time driving into the park um, in Gardner, and you know, you drive a little bit in, and you see that massive waterfall, um, mm-hmm. and you just are like, you know, maybe every now and again we get something right. Oh man, it it I, it's hard to describe. Like I said, I, I've heard people go on and on about the park, and I'm like, okay, okay, you know, I, there's a lot of beauty out there. I get it, but it really you have to be there. You kind of have to be there to understand it. And that, I know exactly what you're talking about, that that waterfall coming in. It's breathtaking. It, it really is. You got to stop and just take it in. I mean, I couldn't imagine a more, a more special, a more special place than that. It, it, it makes us want to move closer to make more trips possible. So it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny we, when you and I were talking, kind of doing the kind of game plan for the interview, you know, we were talking that we're, um, we're kind of similarly wired about, you know, trading luxuries for more days on the water. And, um, oh, yeah. and I know you got, you have some secrets that you shared with me and I was wondering if you'd share them with our listeners for the folks that are kind of like us, that'll do anything they, they can to kind of get more days out there. Yeah, you bet. Boy, we, we, uh, we take it pretty seriously, don't we? Um, I would say the first thing that, that we do and, and I know this isn't possible for everybody, um, but we we travel at night. Um, I know folks say that we're crazy for doing that, but um, my kids sure are, <laughs> sure do have it made. Um, but like, say, for example, we want to head to Colorado for the weekend and, and fish. Um, we will, and we do this oftentimes, my kids will get out of school on Friday and we'll leave, you know, we'll pack up the van and, and leave. And, and Chris and I will drive through the night, we'll trade off. And my kids will literally wake up on the South Platte. I mean, and so that driving through the night, it, it allows us then to be on the water, you know, from sun up all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then we'll drive home through the night Sunday night and pull in the town just in time to get my kids showered and changed into school by 8 a.m. I mean, it's just, it's insane, but that it maximizes our time, you know, and, and we just want as much time as, as we can get. I mean, definitely sleep is a luxury, but. I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of it when we travel. Um, another thing that we do, um, we we are kind of crazy. We we bought a home freeze dryer, um, not like a dehydrator, but an actual like freeze dryer, and we prepare meals and freeze dry them so that we can camp remotely and and not have to be limited by you know hungry kiddos or you know a grumbly tummy when you're on the water so we will we bring all of our food with us and they're i mean they're yummy they're delicious it's the meals that we make but 
you know, we invested in that home freeze dryer just to to make more meals so that we can be on the water. You know, I mean, imagine, you know, it's about dinner time. You you pull pull off the water a little bit. You boil a little bit of water, and yeah, you, you know, you prepare your meal and you fill everybody up. And 30 minutes later, you're right back to fishing. You get those last few hours of light that can sometimes be the best fishing. Um, and and there's no limits. So you just you be, we love it. it, it breakfast, lunch, dinners, snacks, traveling snacks, um, you know, and you name it, we, we, we bring it with us everywhere. Um, another thing we do is we kind of, we camp a lot. So, um, we just want to be as close to the water as we can. You know, oftentimes in, you know, in the winter that might not always be an option, but, but, you know, based on the temperatures, you know, we've got, we've got really, really warm sleeping bags and you know, say, for example, we were at clean the dream, this past August. And, you know, we had several offers from friends to stay at their house, which was so generous. And we're so grateful. I mean, sometimes we do, we love our buddies and our friends, but when we consider the travel time to and from each other's house, I'm like, man, that's, that's about three and a half hours of fishing that I could have if I just camp right here instead. And so we, we oftentimes, you know, opt for that. And we did it clean the dream this year. We thought, man, well, the trichos are coming off really early and if, if we camp here, we can be, you know, we can hit the trico hatch. And so we did. So, I mean, we're a little extreme, I guess. I, I know that sounds a little fanatical, but gosh, it's just, it's a happy trade-off. It's an easy trade-off for us. Yes. Let's fish some more. Yes. Yes. We just, we're insatiable, I think. <laughs> very, very neat. And do you have any kind of, you know, secrets or suggestions for how to introduce kids to fly fishing and keep them interested? Oh man. Um, my kids kind of came by it naturally and I know that's not true for everybody, but, um, one of the biggest things I would say, just, just make it easy and keep it fun. Um, when my kids were younger and we taught them, taught them how to bass fish, you know, they catch a fish or two, but then, you know, they, they're distracted. Well, I hear this frog croaking. Where is this frog at? And, you know, they want to put the rod down and go, go, go figure out where that frog is or, or, you know, what I saw a lizard run by, or let's throw some rocks now, you know, don't, I know that's kind of a taboo thing when you're fishing, you don't want to throw rocks in the water. And I know a lot of other parents might, might say that's, that's a bad thing, a taboo thing, but, but just, if you can get them having fun, they're going to want to come back as opposed to sitting in a boat for eight hours, just waiting for your barber to go down in the sun. You know, they, they, they might not have such a positive experience, you know, doing, doing that. So just, we just always made it adventure. That's what we call it. We didn't even call it fishing. We said, do we want to go have an adventure? And it was just kind of following their lead and letting them be kids and loving what they love. You know, they loved bugs. So a lot of times something would whiz by and butterfly, we're chasing a butterfly now, you know, and it was just, it was fun. And that's what drew them to the outdoors and led them back to fishing. It just naturally. Um, another thing, you know, I've, I've got a redhead. We definitely never, never, ever leave home without plenty of food. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you have you have some hangry moments so avoid those at all costs you know make sure there's plenty of food um and just maybe taking that step or just managing comfort are they too hot are they too cold you know if west gets cold heaven help us all so we we always mitigate all of those um little hurdles um and just just make it fun that, that's all that you can do if it's fun they're going to want to do it all the time and and it's just an easy transition when you say let's go have fun yeah who doesn't want to have fun? 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we talk, we always talk about the benefits of being outdoors. And, you know, you and I had a conversation, I think it was at Scott Stissers after the Denver fly fishing show one day, you know, can you kind of share with us kind of how fly fishing has impacted your family and, you know, the impact it's had on raising two young boys in such a tech centric world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, the outdoors and fly fishing, I mean, if you haven't figured that out yet, it is something so near and dear to my heart. And um, I do remember that conversation with you. Um, I've always had a love for the outdoors. And, you know, I worked for the Forest Service for a lot of years, you know, through college. But nothing really impacted my life as deeply um, and more meaningful than fly fishing did. And I think that it's because I discovered it at such a vulnerable time in my life. And we kind of touched on that. You know, we just lost our home. You know, we're squished in this RV. Um, you put that pandemic cherry on top and, and our life was kind of in shambles a little bit. Um, things were pretty unrecognizable. And so we learned, you know, pretty quickly also that our uh, small business was a very non-essential business for 2020 and 2021. So um, we had a, you know, we had a lot of time on our hands, but it was a major cause for some anxiety, you know. So I guess you can say that the rivers of Colorado, I mean, this sounds so silly, but they healed me in a way. Um, they carried away a lot of that anxiety and uh, they kind of put me back together, I guess you could say. Um, it just reminded me that I still had a pulse. You know, there was beauty out there and I could be moved and in awe of the world around me. You know, the stillness of nature and and just the the flowing of the river, you know, it just it just left such an impression on me. Um, it taught me, it taught us how to live. It, it really did. It taught us what was important. Um, and, and my kids were in absolute heaven. I mean, they, they were living their best life. They still are. <laughs> their bedroom was like camping full time, you know, and now, now they're just taking it into the woods with them. I mean, they it just, life couldn't get any better for them, but, but fly fishing steadied me. I think during that hard, you know, hard time in my life. And, and I don't speak for Chris, but I think it was similar for him too. Um, and all of a sudden the four of us had something in common and what more can you ask for as a family? You know, we were bonded by this shared love and passion, you know, the feelings that we get as we hiked and fished and filled our boxes together. I mean, we camped under the stars. We talked about God. We cheered for each other with each catch. I mean, we just felt the joy of being alive and doing that together. It's just, it, it really is so special to me. And like I said, I know it sounds a little cliche and maybe a little bit cheesy, but it was our thing. It was our outlet. And I just feel so fortunate that we were able to discover that um, together. Um, so so couple that with, you know, I, I'd say the, the opposite of that, you know, then you kind of enter in, you know, technology, um, the kind of oxymorons in, in that regard. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not an anti-technology family by any means. I mean, <laughs> I we we have devices, we have phones, we have social media accounts. But I do believe in today's world, it's kind of easy, if I can say it, easy for parents to allow their devices to maybe uh, raise them a little bit. Um, it's easy for them to kind of hand over an iPad or a device just to get some peace and quiet. And then before you know it, the day's gone. So the tech obsession of today's youth, is it, it's frightening to me. Um, it's it, it, it very quietly takes over. And so the, the experiences that my boys have had in nature have been so rewarding that you know, hours on YouTube or with a video game just really don't compare. Um, 
you know, they're not, they're not left wanting more when they compare the two. It's like, I, I know they know what they want. They know what they like. You know, they dream about tarpon and redfish and brown trout. You know, they don't dream about, you know, they're not jonesing for a fix on scrolling through Instagram, you know. And so I think as a parent, I just, I love that, that aspect, you know, where nature has sort of replaced that, you know, that strong need for connection, you know, found on social media. It's a connection with something else. And so I, I love that. You know, we, like I said, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We, you know, we jump on YouTube, we jump on social media, you know, we, we just tend to focus and gravitate more towards, you know, maybe slide-ins channel or Charlie Craven's channel, as opposed to, you know, a podcast, as opposed to, you know, maybe an influencer, you know, all these little other crazy accounts that are out there. So. Yeah. Well, but you, but you know, it's funny, right? Cause I always say, you know, it's kind of like a shovel. I can dig a hole where I can hit you in the head. Right. So, <laughs> so, 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 you know, like I love tech too, but, um, you, you know, I do think that, you know, using it as a tool, kind of like you're describing to learn how to do things and to use it to like truly connect with people and to really kind of, you know, you find your people, but then you also get to spend time with them in person or if they're in another country. And I think that's a, a very, different, um, you know, interaction than just abdicating your agency and just kind of taking whatever pops up on the screen. Right. Sure. And, and, and like I said, you know, more to both of our points, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know, my, because my kids don't spend all kinds of time on game systems and don't hang out, you know, on these social media accounts, you know, they, they're kind of outcasts, you know, at school. And so they, they don't, they don't have any friends. Um, they've been bullied to the point where we've had to involve the police on certain occasions. But then insert fly fishing again, and all of a sudden you've got these these people that they've made friends with that you know hear about stuff like that, and they just embrace them and they reach out to them. You know, I Uncle Feather Merchants. You know, the gang over there sent a little care package to my kids, and it just happened to be at a really pivotal point, and. And I think my kids smiled for weeks, you know, it, it's like they may be isolated at school, but they know where they belong. They have this community of friends and people and they're not all their same age, but that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant at that point. So you get random boxes in the mail. Hey, I thought of the kids. Here's some, here's some tying materials or, you know, I really wanted to reach out and, and help the kids and here's, here's this or here's that. And, and I know that that can sound like, oh man, geez, Keisha, I wish golly, I wish I had friends like that, but that's not it at all. It's, it's teaching my boys. I want to be a friend like that. It's teaching them so many powerful lessons that you just, you can't get any other way. I'm, I'm just, I'm so proud of them for sticking up for what they believe in and who they are because it, it's teaching them balance. You know, tech is great. You can learn a lot, but like you just said, you can also dig yourself a pretty deep pit to live in. And you can choose how to act and how to respond. And and they've got these great mentors in their life that are that are paving that way for them. And I'm just I'm so beyond grateful and blessed for the for the experiences that we've had just from fishing. I know it it's more than that. It's more than fishing. It's just been a, a wonderful journey so far. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much there, right? I mean, there's living, you know, deliberately, um, you know, there's the power of authenticity and vulnerability and the power of trust, right? And oh, uh, yes. And those are all those things that, 
um, I think are harder and harder to come by today. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? I just think about growing up in the seventies and there was a lot more of that. Right. Um, and and, you know, also in the sense of it's kind of this irony where, um, you know, we're, we're more connected through technology than we've ever been, but so many people are so incredibly lonely because they haven't found their people. Yes. Oh, I hundred percent agree with that. And it's so sad. It, It breaks my heart. And, and, you know, that's what, you know, life can give you those tools and experience can give you those tools to try to, you know, get you to your people, drive you to your passion. I, I, everybody needs a passion. Everybody needs their people. Everybody needs a village. Everybody does. And they deserve that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, and it builds resiliency, which is a great thing for kids, right? You know, when they have that courage and that resiliency, sure. right? And then they can just kind of, you know, point themselves in the right direction and, you know, they learn, right, to find their people and they have the courage to kind of grit it out. And those are super powerful yep. life lessons, right? Yeah, that you don't learn from a video game, unless I'm mistaken. I mean, I, I haven't found a video game that's taught me that lesson, but I've seen I've seen firsthand, you know, comparing the two and and absolutely it, those those lessons, they're hard learned, but they mean so much. They're invaluable. And and learning the tools to to, to navigate your way through those lonely moments. It, it's everything. That's life. That's that's life. And turning to the river and turning to fly fishing. I mean, I think that's just such a healthy outlet for them, for all of us. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I always kind of, you know, so my boys are, uh, gosh, my oldest just turned 21 this week and then my youngest is 15. But, you know, you kind of talk about it in that whole process of you're trying to raise an adult, Right. And, uh, yeah, well it's those, but those, that's all the stuff that goes into that. Right. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just grades or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like there's this whole package of life skills, right. That you're trying to, you know, all this life wisdom you're trying to give your children. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, we touched on it earlier. I wanted to kind of get back to the fly tying because I, I do want to drill into this because I know you've got a lot of good secrets for people. Um, so so your boys got a, got advice from Santa Claus. And then how long did it take you to kind of get the bug? Oh, boy, it didn't take long. Um, they got their advice for Christmas in December. And I had my own. Chris and I both got our own. But I, I got mine for my birthday in April of that, you know, that you know, following Christmas. So. Um, it, I, it just, it, it was crazy how fast everything happened. Uh, sometimes I forget that it's only been a couple of years cause I, I can't really remember life before I typed flies. Um, but I just think, you know, the artistic appeal was so inviting for me. I, I love to draw. I love to paint. You know, I love, I love all those things. So expanding my creativity into a new realm was just so, it was too easy. I mean, and I, I felt hard. <laughs> I felt mad, madly, madly in love with time flies. Um, I think I, I think I frightened Chris. You know, at some points. I mean, he, I just the rat hole. He was like, surely she's got to come up for air somewhere. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but uh, I, I started tying flies like I had to make up for the previous forty years that I had never done it. I mean, I was just so into it, and and it was just. Um, I mean, it was just so much fun. I really, and I still, I enjoy, I tie every single day. I rarely are there, is there a day that I don't tie a fly or a dozen flies. I try to tie a good dozen or so every day. Um, but it's just, I love it. It connects me to the water. Um, I dream about what's going to eat it and where I'm going to be as I'm tying it. I mean, it's so cheesy, but gosh darn, I love it so much. 
So yeah, that, that transition did not take long. And my, I definitely have my kids to thank for that. They, they, they're pretty cool kids. Gosh, I'm, I'm a lucky mom. So they, they, they spearheaded that, that whole tying gig and yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So what do you tie on? Um, my first vice was a Regal. I bought a Regal, um, and, and I love it. Um, I still use it. I eventually, um, wanted to try, you know, a full rotary vice and I went to a Renzetti and I, I, I love that vice. I, I absolutely love it. So I, so I tie on the Renzetti most of the time, but I still use the Regal a lot for, if I'm going to do some deer hair work, tie a, you know, a bass bug popper, you know, somewhere where I'm really tugging and pulling hard on that, you know, on the thread and on the hook you know, hold bigger hooks better. You know, sometimes I'm using, you know, one knot, two knot hooks. It's just, you know, there's a right tool for the job, you know, no matter what you're doing. And and so sometimes the Renzetti's perfect and sometimes the Regal's perfect. So I keep them both within arm's reach at all times. <laughs> Got it. And which uh, Renzetti do you have? I have the Master. I, I just went, I mean, I, I'm all in Marvin. We, we are all in or all out kind of people. So <laughs> yeah, we are, I, I got the Master. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we, we all have Renzetti's and we all have Regals. It's kind of a crazy thing, but, um, yeah, Chris, Chris got a master as well. Um, a good friend of ours, a dear friend, I didn't, I didn't know at the time, but he, you know, he, he kind of heard, of, you know, saw my kids tying and, um, reached out and just said, you know, I've been given a lot of really cool things in my life and I would love to, I'd love to help your kids out. You know, can I send them some vices? And I just about fell out of my chair. Just the nicest man. One of our dear, dear friends to this day. So my kids have Renzetti's as well that they were gifted um, by someone pretty near and dear. So we're kind of a Renzetti family. Yeah. And yeah. And so I want to talk to you too about tires that you kind of follow, you know, on social media or who have influenced you. And I mean, we already know you've got rat stink and Skeeter on the list, but, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) who are, who are some of the folks that, uh, you kind of watch, uh, Ty and that you kind of follow and that have mentored you on your journey? Um, you know, without sounding redundant, I mean, Charlie Craven, hands down. I mean, he, he has a gift for teaching. I, I, I don't even know how many times I've gone through and watched his videos. They're just, I always pick up something different. He, like I said, he has a way of teaching. And and the thing that I love and appreciate so much about Charlie is that he's not afraid to tell me when something needs some work. (laughs) You know, I, we, we learn a lot from success, but gosh, not, not in anything in comparison to when we maybe make mistakes or have a little bit of a failure. And that could happen on the vice, you know, it's like, you know, he's just not afraid to say, you know, you need to work on your proportions or that tail's too long or don't don't let your uh, resin come up on the bead like that. Or, you know, and it, it just I always tell him, like, I'm not looking for praise. I just want to know how to get better. And he's so good at that. He can do it in such a good and classy way that that really helps me. Um, and he pushes me. You know, He really does push me to, to try new things and, and to be better. And, you know, I just I, I am so grateful for that guy. He he's. He's just awesome. So Charlie, hands down. Um, Kelly Gallup, of course. I mean, how can you not talk about Kelly? You know, I, I went through a streamer phase. Still, well, I go through a streamer phase several times a year. It just, you know, I have kind of like fly tying ADD. But um, I really appreciate Kelly when he says, you know, if it isn't right, if it doesn't look right, then back it off and start again. You know, take it off and do it again. You know, don't move forward until you get things how you want it. And that always resonated with me from the first time I heard him say it, and that echoes in my mind a lot as I'm tying, you know, do it right. Does it look right? Stop and look, you know, flip your vice around, look at it, you know, get it right. You know, then you learn 
those proportions from the get-go. Um, I just, there's so many great tires out there. Um, it all just depends on what, what you're looking for. Um, Chris Johnson at Living Waters is such an awesome tire and he's taught me so much. They do a tying class, a beginner and an intermediate class every Wednesday night at the fly shop. And I have learned so much from him and from the group down there. Um, I always, always look forward to Uncle Feather Merchants. Um, they're, they're tying seasons. You know, they oftentimes pull, pull their signature tires together and do a live stream session during tying season. And they're always relevant flies, always new patterns. And that I learn a lot from that. I, we center whatever evening they end up doing those broadcasts. I mean, it's on our calendar. The kids know. It's like, don't interrupt. We're, we're, we got to make sure we have dinner done early. We're, we're watching and we're learning. Um, I mean, Schultz Outfitters. I mean, they, they've got such a great program up there, too, for a lot of their bass stuff. You know, then you've got, you throw Russ Madden in there. Um, Eli Gonzalez on Instagram. It's easy. Easy Fly Gonzalez, or uh, don't quote me on that, but it's Easy Gonzalez. He he's such a clean and talented tire. Um, I mean, Blaine, Blaine is. I mean, we do so much bass fishing down here. His he's impacted the fly industry with his designs, absolutely. So I'm so inspired by him. Um, Phil Rowley, I'm starting. I'm really starting to dive into Stillwater patterns. He's been such a huge help. I've learned so much from him. I don't know. There's just, there's so many, there's so many people. It just kind of depends on, on where you're at in your journey, you know, what you're wanting to learn and what catches your eye. You know, Eli, like I mentioned, he, he could tie some of the most realistic and incredible bugs that look just like the real thing. So if that's your, if that's your gig, you know, he's your guy. And there's times where I want to learn that, you know, Russ Madden, he's like, this is your weapon. You know, we've got to, you know, we've got to make these things lethal and he does. So that, that really inspires me. Um, Andreas Anderson makes deer hair work look like a walk in the park. I still scratch my head. I try to figure out how he does what he does with deer hair, but I love watching his videos. I've even taken some of his classes. I just, I love learning from, from people who are willing to teach. And that's all that it is. I just glean as much as I can and pull information and tips and hacks anywhere, anywhere they're available. Um, so I'll take, I'll take all the help I can get from anyone who's willing to give it, but there's so many good tires out there. There really are. We are blessed to have all this information just right, right here at our fingertips. So, but definitely I'm sure there's a million other people that I'm forgetting, but those I'd say are the biggest ones so far, I think on, on my journey. Yeah. And it's funny too, cause we were talking again in our, uh, our kind of our game plan call and I was like, you know, you know, you're like, well, I, I got, you know, accomplished at tying cause I tie a lot. And I think you're kind of being a little too modest, right? Cause I know a lot of people that tie a lot that aren't very accomplished. <laughs> and, and, and so, so, you know, it's just like you know, people that tell you how much they fish and they're not that much better than they were five or 10 years ago. And I'm not by that, I'm not saying I'm special on the vice or on the water. It's just kind of one of those things. And so I kind of wanted to push you a little bit on that about, you know, cause what we're really talking about um, and it reminded me of interviewing Cat Toy because Cat made a super rapid, uh, you know, fishing and tying um, uh, skill uh, progression. And I just wanted to see if, if you could tell us a little bit more about how you improved your skills and what's basically been, what, two and a half years? Yeah, yeah, two and a half years. I, I was invited to tie the Denver Fly Fishing Show after having just two years of experience. Was I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't know enough to say that's, pretty unprecedented but it's pretty i mean i was i was blown away that they said yes you know so yeah i've I've only been tying a short time 
but like I can't really give all the credit to myself. I mean, I definitely put in the time at the Vice and but there's so much information out there that's available to anybody. You know, you hear people say, Oh, I really wish I could learn how to tie. Well, well, you can. You absolutely can. Um, but I would say, you know, someone who wants to up their game a little bit, you know, just ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, how does this work? Does that look right? What material does 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 this do? What is this for? Um, I, I kind of mentioned I wanted to learn still waterflies. And so I reach out, you know, to Phil Rowley and Brian Chan and they take the time to explain it to me. But then, you know, then it's on me to take what they've they've explained and to go to the vice and to put in the time and practice it and and just be driven to get it right. You know, you kind of have to have that that passion at the heart of it that says, you know, I'm I want to nail this. Um, you know, I want to learn how to tie the no hackle. I mean that I've I've made progress on it, but I'm not there, you know, but I'm so committed to learning it. And so that, that commitment, you know, is available if you just put in the time. Um, I, I, I always have my nose in a book. I mean, I really do. I, I have read so many fly tying books. I have listened to so many podcasts. I mean, anytime you know, we're woodworkers. So anytime I'm running a sander, I've got, I've got some expert on, on some technique, you know, talking in my ears, you know, that I'm visualizing as I'm sanding. I mean, I, I was obsessed with wet flies not too long ago, you know, the Guadalupe River, um, kind of what you were describing, you know, on the Yellowstone, there's just, you're waiting for those bugs to come off and you swing those wet threads through the quad and, and you're getting a bite. So I was like, oh my gosh, I got to learn more about wet flies. So, you know, I'm waiting at a tire discount and, and I've got my nose in, in Dave Hughes wet fly books. And, and then I'm, I'm over in the pickup line for the kids at school and I've got 15 minutes. So I'm going to pull that Dave Hughes book back out and I'm going to pick up where I left off. I mean, I, I just love to learn and there's so much out there to learn from, you know, you've got April Wilkie's podcasts and, and like we mentioned, Pat Dorsey's books. I mean, there's so much to learn that if you're willing to fully immerse yourself and try to be a sponge and learn from everybody in a humble way, you're going to get better. I mean, if you put the time in, you're going to get better, but you have to be willing to make changes where they're needed. You have to accept the teaching and accept the help and the tips and the corrections humbly with an open mind and make those changes. If you make the changes, you're going to see results. And and that's, like I said, I don't, I don't think that's anything special that I'm doing. I just think I love it so darn much that I just, I, I can't stay away from it. I, I just, I love it. Yeah. Although I would say, you know, being receptive to constructive criticism is actually in, in my experience, pretty rare. Right. I can see how that's true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. I would say eight out of 10 times, if someone asks me what I think, they don't want me to really tell them. They want me to tell them that they're awesome. <laughs> right. Well, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not that way because I, I'm pretty hard to offend. I'm, I, I know that, you know, there are some people out there that might consider that a challenge, but uh, I, I love to learn. And, and I know, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the only way it can come. I mean, you have to, you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong sometimes. You have to be willing to admit that maybe that can be better. I remember one time Charlie Craven told me, he says, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Because <laughs> I told him, I told him that this fly, you know, it was just a little too small. And so I made an adjustment and substitute here. And that was his reply. And I laughed. I thought, you know what? He's right. Gosh, darn it. 
he's so right. And by golly, that next night, I I made the change. And I was like, Charlie, here it is. I, I did it. And he's like, now I'm really proud of you. You know, like you have to be willing to be wrong and you have to be willing to make mistakes. You just have to, it, it's going to happen. You're, you're, you're going to be like, dang it, start over. You know, let's, let's, let's cut this off. You know, Kelly Gallup in his time classes, he goes around with a razor blade. I learned that from him this summer. We met him. And he says in his time classes, he walks around with a razor blade and he'll look at somebody and go, is it, is it on there right? Does it look right? No? Okay. And he cuts it off. I mean, you have to be willing to start over. I bet a lot of people would probably not love that very much, but it's how you learn. That's how we all learn. We learn from making mistakes. So I've obviously made a lot of them, you know, and I'm going to make more. And I tell that to my kids. You've got to be willing to just make a mistake and go, okay, what next? What am I going to do differently? Yeah. Learn to fail quickly, as they like to say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. So I still want to get you a couple tying tips that you can share with mere mortals to help us up our tying game. A couple things. Okay. Um, I would say, um, don't, you know, we've already talked about don't being afraid to make mistakes. We're not going to beat that horse anymore, but, um, don't be afraid to be new, to try something new. I think that, you know, nobody wants to, to admit they don't know what they're doing, or I've never tried this before, or, you know, you get to the deer hair part of that sex dungeon fly and you're like sweating bullets because you think you suck at deer hair, you know, and it's hard. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to try something that's hard and to keep, keep at it. Um, one thing that really helps me, and I think I kind of touched on this earlier, is you can't just tie one or two of a fly. You don't learn enough. You just, and, and that's my opinion. I'm not, this is, you know, fly tying according to Keisha Atkin with only, you know, less than three years of experience. So take it for what it's worth. But you can't just tie a couple. You have to tie, you know, tie a dozen. Sit down and tie them from start to finish. Give yourself the time to learn and to, you know, because by the time you get through number six or seven or eight, you're like, I've got this. And your last four will probably be the best ones that you tie. So, so tie a lot of them. You know, learn a, you know, learn a nymph and tie a dozen. Um, so, so if you really want to up your game, grab, grab a tying book, sit down with a YouTube video, follow along, you know, word for word and, and tie it. Use the pat, use the materials that they use, follow the steps that they do. I like to tell my kids, you have to learn the rules to be able to break the rules. So, you know, I, I'd like to, there's a reason why that fly designer put that material on that hook. There's a reason why he picked that. There's a reason why he picked that over other things. Um, so, so try it his way first. Do it how he does it. Learn it. Get good at it. And then before you know it, like we talked about before, you've got these techniques kind of in your toolbox. And you've got these processes down and this understanding of materials down and why they're on a hook. You know, they all serve a purpose. And then you can kind of start getting creative with things and going, you know, I know he did it like this or she did it like this, but I wonder what would, I know that, that this might work instead. And that might help me in this particular situation on this particular river do this. And, and your creativity can kind of take over. And then you can start breaking the rules. Then you can start being creative, but you're creative with a purpose. Um, and, and that's, that's, probably the best advice is just follow the rules in the beginning, do it and do them a dozen at a time. And then as your tools start building and your knowledge starts building, 
start being creative with it. Start having fun with it. And, and your, your understanding is only going to increase. But, but you have to be teachable, like we talked about. You have to be a sponge and you have to be humble. But learn the rules and then you'll soon be able to break them. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I, I'm a big believer in that tie a dozen rule. Um, and I'm a big believer that you start with a larger version of the pattern and then you start tying multiple dozens smaller and smaller. Um, sure. And yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. And I always love to ask people that tie a lot, you know, I bet you've got some crazy wonky tool on your bench that you can't live without that you should tell people about. I don't know if it's crazy wonky. Um, I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a tool freak because I, I definitely have, I have my tools that I love and I really stick with those, but I use one of those petty jean magic tools. Um, I really love putting, you know, feathers and things in dubbing loops and gosh, I love that thing. I reach for that thing and that clip all the time. And I don't know that too many people have it. I don't know if you know even what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's clear. It looks like an alligator clip, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can stick the feather with the stem through the little slat and it will splay upwards the feather fibers on the sides. So then you can pinch them with your clip and cut them off and leave the stem, you know, remaining in, in that little seated in that little center portion of the clip. And I, in, in, in the little bench tool. And I love that thing. I use that thing all the time. I love it. Yeah, very neat. And do you have a favorite material you like to tie with? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a fan of Chickaboo. Um, I love it. It's just kind of like a, you know, smaller version of Marabou. I try to just, I love the undulation and the motion you get from those feathers. So a lot of my flies, I try to, I try to plug that in where I can, because I feel like it's such a trigger. Um, I really, really love natural materials in general. So um, CDC, that's probably another favorite. Um, I really love CDC. So that, that's a tough question. So I, I'm proud of myself for narrowing it down to only two. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I'm going to hit you with another broad question and ask you if you have a kind of a favorite pattern or a favorite style of fly that you like to tie. Oh, I, I really don't. Um, and the reason, because I, I think fly tying is kind of a backdoor to becoming a better angler. Um, I know that some people might disagree with that and that's totally okay. But I believe that understanding you know, what a fly was designed to do allows you to understand better how to fish it, when to fish it, why to fish it. And so for that reason, I've, I've never wanted to pigeonhole myself in a, you know, it's not that you can't have a favorite, but, but they're all my favorite because they all catch fish in different scenarios for different reasons at different times. Um, so I love to tie everything. I really do because it helps me catch more fish. Um, I want to be able to show up to a piece of water anywhere. And though it might take some time, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I know I'm going to have what's in my box that can work and and I, I'm going to figure it out no matter, no matter what. So, I mean, give me carp flies, you know, bass flies, saltwater flies, nibs, dries, streamers, any of it. I, I love them all. I really do. They all serve a purpose at, at just at a different time. So I'd probably say I tie nibs and emergers the most. If that helps, you know, so I'm not being a total stinker and not answering your question, just, you know, because, because I fish them the most, you know, it's such a huge food source, but, uh, I'm, I'm one of those ridiculous people that takes way too many flies to the river, way too many flies. I just, I have them with me. I, I love them. They, they all, they all will have a purpose at some point. 
So yeah, it's funny you say that. I think in my uh, my tub, I have seven guide boxes. Those big like um, flat boxes that they're the size of a big book. Um, yeah. and that yeah. doesn't even include the probably 15 boxes I have. Um, so, so I, to- <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. And then I would also say to you, something you said really resonated because I, t- Blaine and I talk about this all the time about you, you can't be a fly designer if you don't really fish because you don't understand the fishing problems that you're trying to solve. Right. Thank you. I love that. That's awesome. Um, it's just true. You can try to argue it, but it's just true. you know, and, and likewise, I hate to say it, but like a lot of people who fish who don't tie flies, I've seen that so often on the river, you know, we, we've been given so much, so much help, so much knowledge. You see someone struggling on the river, you know, you want to go up and help them, you know, if they're, if they're open to that, obviously, like we talked about, some people really don't want help or need help and that's okay. But if they seem like maybe they'd be open to some help, I love to go up and offer that. And so, you know, they'll say, what are you fishing or what's working? Or I saw you using this or I saw you catching this. You know, what was that that you were using? And so I'll pull out my box and of course I'll give them a few, but I'm like, you know, do you tie flies? And they're like, no, I don't. And it's like, okay, well, you're not going to be able to find this in a fly shop, but here's the next closest thing. But I just feel like you're limiting yourself. You know, you kind of limit yourself in understanding why, why am I fishing this fly? You know, he pulls you know, this individual might pull up in his box and say, well, I've got some of these. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, but none of those quite do what this does. So you could try them, but this is going to be your best bet here. I'm going to give you a few more. I mean, you just, you kind of limit yourself. You've got to be able to, you know, have a failure on the water and go home and sit down at the vice and go, what do I need that's, that's going to do the job for me so I can take it back next week or tomorrow or the next month? And, and catch those fish that I couldn't catch today because I didn't have what I'm going to make right now. Yeah. At some point, right. If you fish long enough, you're going to find some really snotty fish, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. They're out there. Oh boy. They're out there and, and they live in, they live in <laughs> lots of different places. Um, and so I have to believe that we're going to be able to find the Atkin family on the 2024 show circuit, or have you guys got plans to, uh, to hit the Fremsky shows or any other shows this season? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. We'll be in Denver. Um, for sure. We'll be, um, we'll be, we'll be tying at the Denver show. We'll be tying at the Salbug roundup. We'll probably be at the Wasatch Intermountain Expo again. Um, we're going to go to Bob in the hood. Um, we're not as demonstration tires, but just to learn and to take it all in. Um, we usually go to the streamer love fest. I mean, we're, we're all over the map and I'll be sure to post about it, um, online. So, um, you know, anybody crazy enough or bored enough that wants to know what we're up to can find us. We we sure get out there and we have some fun and we learn a lot. So we'll be out there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm actually going to not go to the Atlanta Fly Fishing Show, even though it's in my backyard and I'll be at Bobbin in the Hood as well. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited. I, I'm, I remember last year, um, you know, seeing, you know, the advertisements for it and listening to Schultz talk about it and all the preparations for it. And Man, I just had too much FOMO. I was like, I'm not missing it next year. We're going. And all my kids are like, yes, you know, sweet. So yeah. we, we made sure to happen, make it happen this year. Well, our, our poor trusty old van will get some more some more tires and some more mileage this, this coming year, but we'll be there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And before I let you go tonight, Keisha, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, I don't think so. I think um 
think we've kind of talked about a lot. Um, we're on Instagram. I'm Mama Angler, M O M M A A N G L E R, Mama Angler, two M's and two A's. Um, my kids have have accounts, but they've never on social media to post about it. So um, we kind of turned that one into a family account. Um, but just just get out there and have fun. You know, the outdoors can change your life. It really has changed mine. And and I wouldn't regret any one minute I've spent outdoors with my family. No matter what you're doing, if you can get outside, you know, those those memories last a lifetime and they really do change lives and, and have an impact. So I'm a big advocate for family time and time together. I'm a big advocate for for finding your own quiet time as well. So take time for yourself, but but do things as a family. It it will change you. It will change your kids. That's that's kind of my shameless plug. Yeah, there you go. And um, I will drop your Instagram handle in the show notes so people can uh, can find you and follow you. And you know, Keisha, I really appreciate you taking some uh, some time out of your evening to chat with me. Oh, it was a blast. I had a good time. I, I, I love talking about fishing anytime. Thanks for having me, Marvin. You bet. Take care and have a good evening. You too. Good night. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.